you're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning. What a morning. Boy, I tell you, hiccups everywhere. It must be that uh, the devil doesn't want us to get together this morning, but nevertheless, we're here this morning. If you're joining us live on Vimeo, we want to welcome you, and uh, not even sure if we're on Facebook Live, but we're trying to cast here, Vimeo, wherever the Lord would allow us to proclaim the truth of His Word is what we want to accomplish, and so we want to welcome you if you're joining us for the first time, we are super privileged to have you. It is always a blessing, and uh, we are certainly grateful for that opportunity. And so if you're joining us again, welcome. We are going to be in book two, um, uh, chapter one of Design for Discipleship. We've worked through book one together. If you have been unable to join us up to this point, you're always welcome to go back and connect uh, there to uh, see what we've done. We can get the admin to share my Linktree account. Um, there you'll find all of the avenues in which you can access the database of previous messages. Uh, one of the easiest methods is Buzzsprout. And there, if you open up that Linktree account, you'll just scroll down uh, to the Buzzsprout, click on it, and it'll give you the database of all of the online messages for which you'll find DFD Book 1, messages one to uh, four, and then after today, we'll teach this message as well, and we'll post it so that you can have access to it also. And so uh, we're grateful to have you. It's always a privilege. Uh, we are certainly living in interesting days, aren't we? Um, this morning on my way in, there was a major accident which blocked up um, pretty much uh, for the last four hours access to the road which I live off of. So we were unable to be right here on time. Um, so I'm just now able to share um, the, the link abroad. So just bear with me as we do that. But um, this morning, we're going to, you know, start uh, this new series. And it's always a blessing as we start new series is because in this book two, we're going to learn some new truths. And these are truths that I think are somewhat basic. But we need to get back to the basics um, because we have really lost uh, a great deal of the basics of the faith. And, and what better way to be reminded than to be reminded of the basics? And so uh, this morning, we're going to be, again, in Design for Discipleship, book two. I posted it there in the chat. You're welcome to download that and then print yourself a copy, fill it in this week, and then next week we'll be in chapter two. You'll know where we're headed. That The purpose of this would be ultimately that you would be able to do the assignments prior to us meeting so that when we work through this, you can just kind of follow along. You've already done the answers. You've already filled in the blanks, and I think you'll find it uh, a great help. Um, this book, uh, too, is going to be dealing with the spirit-filled Christian. So book one, we really dealt with gospel because you can't be a spirit-filled Christian unless you were born again from above. And so really, we proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. We talked about the gospel. We talked about the effect of the gospel. And then book two, we're going to deal with the spirit-filled Christian. And so I hope that you are, find this an encouragement as we 
begin the process of understanding how, as Christians, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God and how that helps us in our walk as we learn and as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So have you realized that this is an important aspect of our Christian walk? And I hope you have, uh, as we have a personal tutor, the Holy Spirit. But before we get started, let me pray and we'll jump right into book two chapter 1. Father, we thank you for this day, the privilege of prayer. We thank you that we can approach your throne of grace, that you have certainly saved us and dwelt us, and that you have provided a tutor uh, to teach us all things and to bring to us our remembrance all that you've said. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak mightily through your word, that the Spirit of God would penetrate the hearts of your people, and that they and I would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would never stop learning, but that we would continue to grow for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the reality is, is we have a tutor at our side and uh, when we study the Word of God. And so if you don't have your Bible, I would encourage you to um, open it and get it. If you don't, that's okay. Just listen, maybe um, take some notes if you can. He's always able, the Holy Spirit is a he, it's a person. Um, he is able and available to help you understand what the Word of God means and how it applies to you. He is the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said the Holy Spirit would teach you all things and guide you into all truth. And so, that's an important reminder for all of us to understand that uh, we we have this divine tutor who has dwelt us and sealed us in for the day of redemption. And we have this beautiful reality, this great relationship for which God can then work and grow and transform our lives so that we might be more and more sanctified into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit teaches us truth. He guides us. He directs us. And in Psalm 119.18, we learn that there is a good prayer. Open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. So for your personal Bible study, you'll need a time for which you'll want to uh, just spend some time in book two each week, um, just as Church attendance is planned for at 11 a.m. at Family Bible Fellowship, and 9.45 is our adult Bible fellowships and our family class. So you should as well put aside a time to study the Word. Uh, find a place, find a method, and, and make sure you have the materials you need. DFD, Designed for Discipleship, graciously gives us the right permission to and grants us the ability to download this PDF, print it out so that we can use it. Book one, for those just joining, um, Your Life in Christ, you discovered the reasons uh, for the central place Christ holds in your life. But maybe you've wondered, how now do I live a Spirit-filled, Christ-centered life? And in this study, you'll find the answers to this question. So we'll first uh, observe in chapter one, the obedient Christian. Now, we don't like to talk about obedience in our day. We hate being obedient. But the reality is Scripture is very clear about submission and obedience to authority and ultimately to Almighty God. And then we're going to deal with God's Word in our life. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about conversing with God, having a conversation, and then fellowship of Christians, which I accidentally preached already, um, and then witnessing for Christ. So there are five chapters here, and we'll begin today, chapter one, with the obedient Christian. So the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, a life of obedience to God became a real possibility. See, before you were a born-again believer, you were what? You were a slave to unrighteousness. You, you were in you were in engaged in evil deeds only because you were under the bondage of the evil one. But now that you have been born again, that you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection, the reality is, is that you, my friend, are set free. You're no longer a slave to sin, but rather a slave to righteousness. So the Holy Spirit sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. And Romans 8, 2 describes this as he enables us to live the Christ-like life that's expected. John Stott said it is not just that we strive to live like Jesus, but that Jesus by his Spirit should come and live in us. To have him as our example is not enough. We need him as our Savior. It is thus through his anointing death that his atoning death, that the penalty of our sins may be forgiven, where it is through his indwelling spirit that the power of our, our sin may be broken. And so that's, that's an important reminder to be reminded of. So as you learn more about the obedient Christian life, remember that the Holy Spirit he will help you obey. This isn't just something he says, obey, and then you're on your own. No, the basis I want us to see first for our obedience. So if you will, when you consider obedience to God, it's necessary to remember who he is and what he desires for you. So what do the following statements tell us uh, uh, about God? Well, flip over, if you will, to First uh, John 4.8. And there it says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What, what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that the very character of God is love. And uh, anyone that does not love does not know God. Because here's the deal. We just preached on this friend or foe just a few weeks ago in John chapter 15 when he says, the, my commandment I give you is that you love one another. And by this, John chapter 13, verse 35, they will know that you are my disciples because of the love you have for one another. The very attribute of God is love. And therefore, when you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, you have to, you must exemplify a Christ-like character, which is defined by love. And so anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. Now, Revelation chapter 4, uh, we can flip over there and we'll, we'll see another great truth here where it says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive honor and power, for you created all things, 
and because of your will, they existed and were created. So what we find here is, as we consider the obedience to God, is that He is worthy of your obedience. He is worthy of your submission. He is worthy of your willingness in to be obedient to the things for which he is called. God is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And because he is the creator, because he is all-powerful, because he is sovereign, we ought to have a desire to follow with what God calls us to do. So how should these things influence us? Well, if you're following along in your outline, number one, verse uh, point C, is I should be obedient because God is the creator and we are the created. Uh, we are his creation. We are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. So when we remind ourselves of what Deuteronomy 10, flip over there, Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13, number two, what did God require of Israel? Well, let me read. Now, Israel, what does God the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God and walk in his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and to keep the commandments, the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I commanded you today for your good. So we, we are called, what Israel was called to do was obedience, fear of the Lord, to love the Lord, to serve Him. And what did God desire that they, why did God desire that they keep the commandments? Point B, well, it was for their own good. Um, and so how does this apply to us today? Well, God set standards on His people for their good. We are no longer under the law, but under grace. But nevertheless, the law is good. But we are not saved by keeping the law. Galatians 2.21 reminds us of that. Um, if we could be saved by keeping the law, then Jesus Christ died needlessly. So God sets his standards on his people. We don't get to define those standards. And we have a problem in 2022 where we like to define the standards um, for which God has already defined. He, he calls that which is good, good, and he calls that which is evil, evil, and we like to call that which is good, evil, and that which is evil, good. And so we've confused things, but we don't have the right to do that because he's God and we are not. We are the created, the, he is the creator. He is the definer of truth. He is the definer of right and wrong, wrong because he is God and he is sovereign. What does 1 John, really 3, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, uh, tell us? Well, let's read it. He says here, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we have been called by God. Uh, to be obedient, and that obedience should not be burdensome. Now, to the to the slave, to the taskmaster, his burdens are heavy, right? His but but for the Christian who's indwelt with the Spirit of God, who has the Helper, the Holy Spirit, his obedience, our obedience, should not be burdensome. 
He's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness, right? So when we look um, at that thought process, we see the reality that, that, that His ways and His call in our lives as Christians in obedience should not be burdensome. So, but after, nevertheless, looking, after reflecting on John 14 and 14, 21, briefly state the relationship between loving God and obeying God. What's the difference? Well, he says in John 14, 15, if you what? Love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we hear people all the time when I say, well, if you were to die today or Christ were to turn, I'm sure on a scale from zero to 100 that you go to heaven. They say, I'm 100% sure. Okay. Well, if you were to stand before God and God said, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? They say, well, I love you. Well, do we really love God like we think we love God? Because if the scriptures are true, and they are, he says here in John 14, 15, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Do you keep the commandments? Then maybe you don't love God as much as you think you love God. But the beauty is this, is that he, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world. And because he has sent his son in the world, that you might be saved, that you might be indwelt with the spirit of God. We can look at verse 21, where it says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Here's the upper room discourse, the beauty of that. Listen, love is connected to obedience. Love is connected to obedience. So we need to understand uh, obedience to God. How do you know what God desires <clears throat> for your life? The Bible is God's revelation of truth and, and obedience to God's word. Listen, is obedience ultimately to God himself because the word of God is the God speaking to us through his written revelation, his special revelation. Psalm 119 deals ultimately with the importance of God's Word. And so what are several ways the Bible can, uh, can help us in our understanding to live for Jesus Christ and be obedient? So flip over to uh, Psalm 119, a long chapter here, but we're going to look at a few verses. Verse 11, uh, it says this, With all of my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So that we're called to treasure this word in our hearts. Um, Psalm uh, 119, verse 105, flip over there. The word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It will keep you from stumbling. Right? So when we don't know the Word of God, when we don't read the Word of God, when we don't study the Word of God, then we don't know the Word of God. And what we do instead of listening to the Word of God, we listen to the world when we should be listening to the Word. And thus is why we have getting in the Word, because we want the Word of God to permeate your hearts and my heart so that I can be faithful and you can be faithful in obeying the Father because we love Him and we want to obey our Father. And then here in Verse 130, we also learn the unfolding of your words gives light. Do you think we need light today to shine in this dark world? Well, it's the unfolding of his word that gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So it gives understanding. It gives us wisdom, right? And that's important. 
the Word of God is valuable. It is an intrinsic value in the life of the Christian. It's like it's like the air we breathe. So the Word of God is a necessity to live for the Christian. 2 Timothy 3.16 is one of these passages that, you know, emphasize the importance of God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good works. So Paul said that Scriptures are profitable. Um, now, the world wants to um, disguise that, and they want to... Um, they want to push away the reality of the importance of the Word of God, but not us. We, we want to emphasize the importance of God's Word. So what we, what we are to do is we are to teach. It's profitable for teaching. So what to believe and what to do, um, this is a real deal. The Word of God is designed to tell you what you are to believe and what you are to do. Um, it is also not only to teach, but to reprove. Um, we certainly don't like this in our day. We don't want to be told that's a sin or this is a sin, but we're all capable. Even the most godly man and woman is capable of sin. And then it is also designed for correction. It would not only do does it reprove us that we recognize sin, but then there is a correcting aspect of it. How to change? How should the Word of God keep our lives changing more into the image of uh, Jesus Christ? And then finally, D uh, of number six, training, training in righteousness, how to live. And, and the Word of God is always there for those elements, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that you, the hearer, the reader, the student of the Word of God, may be adequately equipped for every good work. God has prepared you for a work. Um, the teaching shows the path on which you are to walk. The, the training in righteousness shows you how to stay on that path. And then when you get off of that path, the reproof shows you where you've gone off the path. And the correction ultimately brings you back into the right direction for which you should be walking. We call it repentance turning away from our sin, and turning back to God. We are continually walking towards a relationship, a, 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 a faithful, victorious Christian life. But many times we'll veer off, and the, and the reproof will show us that we veered off, and the correction will bring us back onto the right path. And so it's kind of like a traffic circle. And if you look in, in Book 2, Chapter 1, on page 7, they give you the illustration so it'll be helpful for you to follow along if you have the book. Jesus presents a vivid picture of two types of people. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, turn there and we'll see together uh, the wise man and the foolish man. And we have a choice of doing both as we walk through this life. Read the passage and answer the following questions. On what foundation was the house built? Well, let's read the passage. Uh, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house 
on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds, who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, the same as the other, but it fell. And great was its fall. So what these two comparisons of the foolish man and the wise man, so what? What on what foundation was the house built? For the wise man, it was the rock, a picture of building upon the solid foundation, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. You know, I posted a little devotional about... Um, about a treasure being found in a field and everything is worth selling if that treasure is the most valuable thing. And I believe our salvation is the most valuable thing. And uh, everything we give up is worthy of giving up because the greater is that which we receive is our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the rock for which we should build our houses on. Anything else, my friend, is sand. It's sinking sand. And you, if you build your life on your material possessions, your wisdom of man, your own inclinations, and it's not founded on the Word of God, then you, my friend, will be like the foolish man who builds on the sand. And when the storms come, when the wind blows, when the rains fall and the floods come, you, you will fall. Your, your foundation will be wiped out from underneath you. <clears throat> to what forces were both the houses exposed? Both houses were exposed. Uh, by the by, the rain, the wind, and the flood. But the question is, which one stood the test? Well, the wise man stood the test. The foolish man failed the test. Did this person hear God's word? Well, they both heard. But only the wise man obeyed. Only the wise man built upon that solid foundation. And how do they differ? Well, one was obedient and one wasn't. See, obedience is important. And you won't always be obedient. But when you aren't obedient, we need to confess our sins, right? We need to confess our sins to the Lord, and we need to repent. Perhaps God's Word has recently made you aware, like, you know, when you read the Bible and you study the Word of God and the Spirit of God through the Word of God uh, convicts you of, of a sin or a circumstance, Maybe God has recently made you aware of an area of your life that needs brought closer into obedience to God. If so, what areas are those? And those will be different for each one of us. Time, man time management's a big one for me. Just got so much going on. Doctorate of ministry, seven children, a husband, uh, a father, um, a pastor, um, building projects and discipleship and getting in the Word and online ministry and offline ministry and funerals and weddings and counseling and all of these areas. Time management is really uh, one that I need to be more obedient to the Lord in. Time is the greatest, my greatest asset um, because I just don't have any. Uh, prayer needs to be done more in my life. I need to be more of a praying man. Though I pray, uh, I think when we read, you know, uh, the pastors and preachers and men of God from yesteryear, man, th their prayer lives were were so vitally important, and we have become 
uh, a generation who lacks prayer. You know, you you know, they say on uh, Sunday morning you figure out um, how popular the pastor is. Sunday night you figure out how popular the worship leader is, and Wednesday you figure out how popular God is. And the reason they say that is because Wednesday night's prayer night. And we have to know and understand that God can accomplish more in a matter of minutes than we can accomplish in years based on prayer. And so we need to make sure that we are sifting our lives and evaluating to make sure that there aren't areas in which we can improve, because there are. We need to find those areas. In what areas, in which ways can we begin to develop a healthy obedience uh, to the Lord? So keys to consistent obedience. Well, God's provision. God does not expect you to live an obedient life in your own strength. He knows that could never happen, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. He provided you with everything necessary to make your obedience a reality. So who lives in every believer? Well, 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, flip over there, if you will, and uh, we'll read that. Do, not, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So who lives in every believer? The Spirit of God lives in you. You are the temple of God. He no longer is in the tabernacle. He is now tabernacle upon us. He lives in us. He has sealed us in with the Spirit of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, we see there, um, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. We are the temple of the living God. And then in Galatians 2.20, which I just kind of quoted, is. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So that's uh, we have Christ in us, and there is this union with Christ. There's the theological term. The union with Christ is Christ in us. Because you were born again, because you put your faith in the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence in you at that moment of conversion. We know that from Titus 3, 4, and 5, right? Let me flip over there. Titus, uh, because I think it's important that we are reminded of that. He says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By what? By the washing of regeneration. That's new life. That's dead to life. Regeneration is death to life. By renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God takes residence up in us, and we become now the temple of God for which the Spirit of God indwells us. So why, number 10, are Christians able to overcome their enemy in the world? Well, 1 John, flip over there. 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is He, right? Greater is He. You are, you 
are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is, this is affirmation that the Spirit of God lives in you and gives you the ability to have victory and obedience. In addition to his personal presence, what else has God given you to help you live for him? Here it asks us to match the letter uh, with the appropriate reference. Well, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that he's given us what? The scriptures. That's B. Let's read it. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Boy, we need that reminder today, don't we? We got a bunch of people scared to death, but he hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but a power and a love and a discipline, right? He's given us the power, love, and self-control, discipline, see. Um, so that's the answer for um, the first one, 2 Timothy 1, 7 and C. And then you turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter he has also says, seeing that the divine power has granted us pertaining everything to life and to godliness. He has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So he's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Everything you need to walk in obedience, he has given you so that you can live out the victorious Christian life. So the second Peter 2, 1, 3 is A. And then when we come to the final one, of course, it's B, the last one, the Scriptures, Romans 15, uh, 4. Flip over there. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the in, in encouragement of the scriptures might we might have hope so he's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness he's given us the word of god the scriptures to define truth from the lie and he has given us power love and self control which is a fruit of the spirit who lives in us so we need to make sure that our attitudes match that if you're in Christ, you ought to have the love of God. If you're in Christ, you ought to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit, meaning love, peace, peace, joy, kindness, self-control, all of those. And so while God has equipped you for a life of victory for the Christian, for obedience, a, a key to successful use of the resources is our attitude. What attitude can you display in obeying God? Well, Look over Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. So th therefore be careful to do them with all of your heart and with all of your soul. We need to be what? Fully committed with all of our hearts. Are we committed to the obedient Christian life? Because listen, I know that there are people in the sound of my voice. I can't see that yet. I don't know who's in. I don't know how many people's here. But this is what I do know, that there are people living in habitual sin. You're, you are living a lie. You claim one thing, you're living another. You go to church on Sunday, you've been living in habitual sin all week. 
You're either living outside of marriage with another woman, having sexual relationship, and you're not doing it God's way in his sin. You are either having a sexual relationship with a man or a woman outside of marriage. You're looking at pornography. You're listening to things that dishonor God. You're watching television shows that, that do not honor God. You are disobeying. You're stealing. You're lying. You're, you're cheating on your taxes. Whatever it is, some of you are living in habitual sin. And all I'm saying is I understand sin because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But here's the deal. We need to be fully committed to being a man and woman who obey the Lord so that when we do fail, He gives us. He gives us 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to have this attitude that gives us a fully committed heart to obey God. He has given us a way of escape. There is no temptation that has overtaken us, but that which is what? Common to man. And the Bible says that God will provide a way of escape. So if he will provide a way of escape, and he has provided a way of escape, then if we don't escape, then we choose to reject that ability. We, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness in that moment. Our attitude should be fully committed. We should have a Psalm 40, verse 8 kind of attitude, where it says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Do you delight to walk in obedience to Christ? It's interesting, isn't it, that every time we meet, it almost seems someone comes to me and says, Pastor, what do we do when someone claims to be a Christian, but they have no fruit? Listen, if they, the ones who are walking in disobedience, are not exemplifying fruit, that ought to worry them, right? I'm not here to judge whether they're saved or not saved. If they believe the gospel, trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they trust that as their means for salvation, then there is a sanctification problem for which God needs to grow them in the grace and the knowledge of Christ so that they have a desire for obedience. But who's teaching them? Where are they growing? Is anyone feeding them truth? And, and so all of those factors need to be figured in. Because there is a reality that we all, at one point in our walk with Christ, lived consistently disobedient. And then God sanctified us, and He removed things from us. If you're going in the opposite direction, it ought to worry you. Because He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. But nevertheless, there is this Luke 8, 15 the seed that was sown. Not all of it grows, my friend. The only one who's saved is the final one, the one who grows. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. You cannot be a Christian if you don't, dare, if you don't bear fruit. Now, I'm not your fruit inspector. But if I'm walking in this world and I believe this Bible to be true and I don't have fruit, I'm fooling myself. 
because you cannot have an, an encounter with the creator of the universe, almighty God, and not be changed. No, you are, my friend, a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. If there is no new, then there is no new you. And if there is no new you, then you, my friend, are, are lost and in need of salvation. Now, again, I didn't tell you your obedience gets you to heaven. Your obedience is proof that God has genuinely saved you. But if you are living a life of habitual sin and you have no repentance over sin in your heart, you've got nothing. Because the Spirit of God will convict your soul and He will discipline those He loves. And if He isn't disciplining you, then my friends, you're an illegitimate child. And you need Christ. You need to be born again from above. Obedience doesn't save you. But there is the fruit of repentance, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of sanctification, for which Hebrews 12, 14 says, without it, no one will see the kingdom of God. So you can say, I'm a believer. Yeah, I trust Jesus Christ died, born, rose again, and there is no change in your life. You know the plan of salvation, but you have no relationship with the man of salvation. Because I promise you, you who are born again are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed. Behold, the new have come. If there is no new you, then there is no salvation. That's the reality. So the practice of obedience, living is important. The obedient Christian still faces daily struggles. Again, this isn't about a perfection. It's about direction, that you face the struggles of temptation. How can we practice obedience and gain victory over sin is the question. Biblical principles and examples provided that answer. Discover the source here, number 13, and causes of temptation in the following verses. Who's the tempter? Who is the tempter? Well, flip over to Matthew chapter uh, 4, verses 1 to 3. I think we all know who the tempter is, is Satan. But let's read it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Listen, if he tempted Jesus, don't think he ain't going to tempt you. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. There's the humanity of Christ. And then the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The, the tempter is Satan. He is the liar. He is the, the deceiver of deceivers. He, he has one intention, and that's to seek, kill, steal, and destroy. So we need to know who the tempter is first. The devil. He's a real person. He is the prince of the power of the air. He controls this universe. This is not your home. Your home, as for the believer, is heaven. This is Satan's domain. And everyone who is not a Christian is under the domain and oppression of the devil. They're in bondage to him to fulfill his will. 
So you wonder why there's so much evil in the world, you know, why there's so much evil in politics, why there's so much evil in the church and in families and in, in institutions. It's because this is the devil's world, my friend. We, we don't need to confuse that. He is the tempter. But notice who the temptation doesn't come from. It doesn't come from God. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. We like to blame God for everything. It is not God's fault. God allows it. But it is Satan who is the tempter, not God. Don't, don't say you're being tempted by God, for God, it says, cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Who's never the source of your temptation? God is never the source. What is the cause of our temptation? Well, it's our desires. Let each one, verse 13, James chapter 1, let each one who says he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself cannot be tempted by anyone. But each one is tempted, what? When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's your desire. It's the flesh. That's why he says walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. For the flesh, that's its, its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these two are what? In opposition to one another. There's this constant pulling. But our desires are what lead us into temptation. Joshua 1 or Joshua 7, 21 and number 14 here um, says in to examine Achan's statement about his disobedience. What what? What factors contributed to his disobedience? Well, let's read it. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar I, I, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them. And I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent and with silver and underneath it. So what contributed to his disobedience? Well, his sin of covetousness. He desired them. He desired them. You know, I'm going to just be, this is personal, but I'm going to be upfront with you. So, you know, we got vehicle issues. It's just my life thorn in my flesh. Daughter's still, car's still in the shop. Months now. Can't get any answers. So we're in the middle of going, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do these cars? And so I, I, I need to get a truck for, for, for a new truck. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to plan ahead so my son can have a truck. But, but there's only one truck I want. And that is an F-250 Super Duty. That's what I want. And it's like everywhere I go, I see this thing. It's like so beautiful. But so I'm driving down the road. I'm like, Lord, I want this truck, but it's it's almost becoming idolatry that I want it. And so I'm praying. I'm asking God, stop! Don't give me the desire for that vehicle anymore. Get like, give me something else that that I'll be satisfied with, because it's a pretty expensive truck. It's a really expensive truck. And so I, we all have to be very careful that we don't right. 
that we don't act like Achan and that we don't covet that which is temporal, right? Because we're all capable of doing it. Maybe it's a house, maybe it's a car, maybe it's money, maybe it's prosperity. I don't know. Whatever it is, good health that you that you covet that someone else has that you don't have, rather than being satisfied with where you are and what God has you, the reality is, is if we're not careful, our disobedience and our desires, our covetousness, will cause us to sin. At what point could Achan and ourselves have prevented this? Well, he could have turned away. He could have turned away. There's nothing wrong with desiring a vehicle. But when it becomes an, an idol and it consumes your mind and your desires and everything in life is beginning to push in that direction, God very well may allow me to get that vehicle. But I know my heart. There's a wickedness in my heart. And so I have to keep things under, under control, and you do as well, and have to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, right? So he could have turned away in self-control, knowing that the obedience to God is much better than the, the, the accumulation of that which is temporal. So what can we learn from his error? Well, we need to turn away from sin. We need to turn away from sin. Uh, number 15 here, using the following verses as a guide, write a brief description of sin. So this will be one that you can read, Isaiah 53, 6, James 4, um, 17. Um, well, let's flip over to James 4, 17, and we'll read it, and then maybe we can define it in a brief definition. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him is sin. So you would take that scripture and write a brief definition of sin. What is sin? Well, sin is that which you know to be wrong, yet you do it anyway. So don't. If you if you if you if you're convicted that is wrong, then don't do it. But sometimes like we're convicted of things that are that are not necessarily written that are sins, but that we have conviction of that we don't need to apply to somebody else. That's important. We don't even want to be legalists. Um, but if you feel that what you're doing isn't right and you're doing it, that is a sin. So anyways, 1 John 3, 4, you can read that and write that down, and I think that'll be helpful for you too. So how does sin differ from temptation? Well, there is a big difference. Temptation isn't sin. Jesus was tempted. Therefore, temptation is not sin. Living out that sin, fulfilling that desire, obtaining that which you are tempted to get, whether it be a woman, whether it be lust, whether it be desire of food, whether it be material things, whether it be stealing, uh, screaming, anger, wrath, whatever it is, whatever that temptation is, when you fulfill that, when it gives birth, that's sin. And the wages of sin is death. It may be the death of your marriage. It may be 
the death of your ministry. It may be the death of whatever. It is a real problem in our day. The fulfilling of the temptation. And we're all capable of falling very quickly. And let me tell you, we, we're attacked from every angle. And I promise you, I'm attacked from every, every angle. If you only realized how many DMs I get from perverted women, you know, um, I, I, I don't pay them any attention. So, But nevertheless, the, the enemy is on the attack. So we just press on, push them to the side, plow ahead, trust God, pray for them. Pray for their soul. Pray for their salvation, right? So the reality is, is there is, there is the reality that you can be tempted, um, and not sin. Temptation. We are reminded in First Corinthians ten, which I said earlier. Um, temptations you face differ, and perhaps more difficult than those faced by others. But here's the truth. 1 Corinthians 10 says all temptations are common. Your temptation, my temptation, they're common with humanity. There is humanity is humanity. The temptations have always been all the same. My temptation may not be your temptation. You you may have different temptations. They're still temptations. And if they're sin, they're sin. They're tempted to sin. But here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we learn that there is no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So they're common. What limit does God place on them? Nothing, he says. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I, I, I am convinced that this is a guarantee for our victory. God has given us a guarantee of victory here. There is no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is common to man and God will what? He will provide a way of escape, not might and in the right time. No, he will provide a way of escape. So when we fail and we fall into that temptation, we have rejected the way of escape. You may not even know the way of escape, but if you are obedient to the word of God, remember, we're talking about obedience here. The obedient Christian life. If you have the Spirit of God who indwells you and is telling you this is not right, don't do it, and you do it, you have failed to take the out for which God has provided. Nothing that you face will be more than you can handle. We have to trust God. I was reading in Second Chronicles chapter 18 to 24 this morning. And I was reminded of Jehoshaphat. And, uh, you know, there's only so much time to read and such a vast amount to read, but I'd really forgotten about the faithfulness of Jehoshaphat. But in in Second Chronicles, I think maybe chapter 20, I don't remember, it's somewhere in there, there's a prayer of Jehoshaphat. And he is up against the impossible, just like Asa was up against the impossible. And so he goes before the Lord. He knows that he has got something that is above his ability, but he trusts in God, and God delivers him miraculously. You see, when we know there is this temptation, we can't shake it. 
we keep falling and falling and we feel bad and we fall and we feel bad and we fall and we feel bad and we just keep failing. You have refused God's way of escape. And that may be running. That may be killing the phone. That may be accountability software. That may be stop going into the gas station because you can't stop buying cigarettes or tobacco products. It may be staying away from the gas station because it's full of unhealthy little snacks that kill you. Whatever it is, there has to be a reliance on the Holy Spirit and obedience to God. God will surely provide a way when you are tempted, a way out. Listen, this, this verse is a promise to claim. If you memorize and review it, you will, you will be reminded of it when you look in the face of temptation. God offers us victory and deliverance. But men sin because they often neglect the provision. Knowing but unconfessed sin grieves God. If you have sinned this morning, then we need to confess that sin to Almighty God. And although sin does not alter God's love, it does cause a break in fellowship with Him. So in 1 John 1, 9, we are told, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there is a, there is, we are told to what? Confess it. What's interesting, God already knows everything. He's, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So we're simply telling what already knows is true. We just, we just want to have that, that conversational relationship with the Father that says, God, I'm struggling with this in my flesh, in my inabilities. I, I can't seem to stop this. I want to stop this, and I confess to you that I've done it. I'm sorry. God, take it from me. Remove it from me. Give me the strength. Give me the ability. But he still expects you to do your part. So what is, why is this important? Well, we're called to walk in newness of life. We are forgiven, my friends. I've seen past, present, and future for those who are in Christ. Psalm 130 or 32.5, David prays and confesses his sin. He's totally open to his sin before God. So, so practice of walking in victory can be, can be pictured in this fellowship aspect with God, you're walking in victory. And when you sin, that broken relationships, just that correction or or, or re revealing of sin, and then the correction aspect gets us back on fellowship with God. So what practical ways can we avoid falling into temptation? Well, we can know His Word. We can stay away from evil. Number 20, what two steps indicate James 4, 7 will help you walk in victory? Well, James 4, 7 says that we are to submit to the Lord. Here, I'll read it. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Submit to the Lord. Flee from temptations. So to submit to God, you must yield your will to God's will. <laughs> right? 
To resist the devil, you must use God's provision for victory. And the questions that we have to come to grips with is, are we able to do them? Are we willing to do them? Listen, question eight deals with what the root of the problem is. Now, here in in number 21, these questions about sin and temptation probably remind you of a daily conflict you experience. What is the root of your problem? How does temptation to disobey God in that area of your life show itself? What steps can you take to avoid these beginnings? Galatians 5, 16 says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You, my friends, have been indwelt with the Spirit of God, and you should have the spirit of obedience. We should submit to the Lord, and we need to repent and ask God to forgive us. So remember these points. Your obedience to God is based on the fact that He is your Creator, and you obey Him because of who He is. God reveals His standard through Scripture, so so study and know the Word of God. It will help you be more consistently victorious. To the extent that you appropriate God's provision for victory, then you can experience a life of obedience. Take advantage of God's provision for your success in your Christian victorious walk. You are, my friend, not immune however, to the temptations and sin, just like Jesus was not immune to temptation, though he never sinned, Hebrews tells us. Sin does not negate God's love for you, but it does break the fellowship, and confession restores it. So we need to confess this morning. Father, we thank you for this time together. Forgive us of our sins where we all have, we all fall short, and be reminding us of your grace For those that have never put their faith in Christ, may today be the day of salvation for which they trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God, you sent your Son into the world to take our place, to be our substitute, to pay our debt that we could not afford to pay. And through your Son's death, shedding of blood on the cross at Calvary, being buried in the grave, three days later rising again, proving he was who he claimed to be, God in flesh that he can say whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Help us to walk in faithfulness, trusting in you, and realizing that we are children of God, and that because we are children, we should obey for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast, and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.